0: what's up everybody this is the regression to the mean fantasy football podcast and i am your host sean moran and i am excited to have everyone here for episode one our inaugural episode now this is the first time i've ever recorded a podcast i don't even know if we're going to keep the name I don't even know what cover we'll have for Spotify. This is all very new, but this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. So we're excited to have you on board and let's talk fantasy. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Yeah, I'm just fucking with you. We have no sponsors, um, but I'm really excited here today to talk about a topic that I think we're all thinking about. Who realistically could be the running back one this season? And really, the inspiration for this episode comes from a tweet from Alex Caruso, not the Hooper, the uh, fantasy analyst. And Alex says that each of the last nine players to be RB1 overall were 25 years old or younger. Each of the last six players to be the RB1 overall were drafted inside the top 12 at their position. And no player has been the RB1 overall in back-to-back seasons since 2007. Priest Holmes, fantasy god. So if you apply all that criteria to 2022, Alex comes out with four running backs that really stand out. So I thought it would be fun to build bull and bear cases on each of the four guys that Alex has circled as potential RB1 candidates. And I went above and outside of the criteria that Alex has circled. And I found four other running backs that I think could pop and finish as the RB1 in 2022. Now, before diving in, why are we doing this exercise? Because having the running back one in fantasy is the ultimate flex. It is the ultimate trump card to your friends. Every Sunday, you are shooting lightning bolts out of the tip of your penis. Imagine Jonathan Taylor ripping off another 80 yard touchdown run. That could be you. Now, it's hard to find the RB1, but that's what we're going to try and do on today's episode. So let's dive in. I think it'd be appropriate to start off with one of the biggest lightning rod players in 2022 in fantasy with Najee Harris. So let's build a bull case. In 2021, Najee Harris led the entire NFL in touches with 307 rushing attempts and 94 targets. Under Mike Tomlin, the Steelers have a history of riding with one guy, and there's very little evidence that they will go away from that in 2022. Out of 43 running backs, Najee Harris had the least amount of yards rushed before contact, 0.93 yards, and he was still able to finish as are before playing behind a terrible offensive line. Even with a shift away from Ben Roethlisberger, I still believe. Whichever quarterback plays for the Steelers will continue to check the ball down. As evidenced by Kenny Pickett's short dot in the preseason and Mitch Trubisky's 23% target share to running backs during his stint with the Bears. Now, when we're building a Bear case against Najee, it becomes pretty clear that it's probably going to be difficult for Najee to become RB1 in 2022. And it has nothing to do with Najee's talent, and it has more to do with Najee's situation. The Steelers' offensive line in 2021 finished 30th in ESPN's run-block win rate and finished 26th in PFF's run-blocking grade, and many beat writers and people around the team expect the offensive line to be worse in 2022 than 2021. Last season, the Steelers faced an easier-than-average strength of run defense And this year, they're projected to face the third toughest schedule of one defenses. Najee Harris is also a 6'2 freak of a human who's already dealing with a list front sprain. And he has a history of foot injuries dating back to college. To top it all off, Najee, Najee just wasn't that explosive as a rookie. With only four carries going for over 20 yards. Now, I'm inclined to not knock him too much for this because of his O-line situation, but it's something to call out. You know, we saw Jonathan Taylor ripping off 80-yard touchdown runs. Najee Harris, only four carries going over 20 yards. And look, I love Najee. In my favorite league, I drafted Najee sixth overall over Dalvin Cook. If you read anything about him or watch any of his interviews, it's pretty clear this guy has that motherfucking dog in him. No, seriously, you got to read about his off-season training schedule. During a preseason game, they asked Najee, "What does he do for fun outside of training?" He does literally nothing fun. He, all he does is train—pure, one hundred percent motherfucking dog. And I truly believe he has one of the safest floors in fantasy. And I think he's going to get targeted at high rate, even with Big Ben retired. A lot of the spreadsheet virgins, a lot of the fantasy nerds, are telling you that because Big Ben's gone, uh He's not going to continue to get targets. I disagree. But again, I think the ambiguity of his current situation makes it really hard for us to project out what he could be, and it makes it hard for us to project his ceiling. Again, I think his floor is safe, but I just really doubt his ability to reach his true ceiling, given the current offensive line situation right now in Pittsburgh. Heading into the 2021 fantasy draft, a lot of sharp fantasy analysts we're circling a specific pass catching back as a prime breakout candidate. And a lot of those sharp fantasy drafters were right. DeAndre Swift smashed above expectations. And he's heading into 2022 to be the potential RB1 in all the fantasy football. And when you're building the bull case for DeAndre Swift, the first place you should look is at his 2021 numbers. He was 10th the position in points per game and 16 in touches per game with 62 receptions. Swift often found himself getting the most valuable touches, catches, and goal line work. And he profiles as an Austin Eckler clone. By all accounts, the Lions have a top five offensive line and face a much easier schedule. Fifth easiest overall, and fourth easiest schedule of run defenses. And simple tweaks in play calling this season could allow Detroit to improve on their 26th worst rushing efficiency by EPA. When you're building a bear case against DeAndre Swift, the first place you start is that he struggled to stay on the field, missing seven games in the past two seasons, and he concedes more touches to Jamal Williams than we care to admit. When both have been active, Jamal Williams has received 41% of the carries. When Swift got hurt last season, it ignited the Lions offense. With Swift on the field, Jared Goff's ADOT was one of the lowest in the league, because he was consistently checking it down to the running backs. 40% of Goff's targets were actually to running backs. When Smith went out, Goff started funneling targets down the field to Ross St. Brown and the Lions started winning games. When Swift came back from the injury, they didn't force it to him and the offense continued to push it downfield. And according to next gen stats, Swift was near the bottom of the lead in rushing yardage gain based on expectation. Swift is another guy that I love. He was a fantasy star to start the season, and he was the perfect PPR running back. He quickly earned the trust of Jared Goff, and he constantly made splash plays in the passing game. He plays for a coach that wants to establish the run and exert their dominance with their offensive line. I think that last year was a bit of a mess for play calling for the Lions. Clearly, Anthony Lynn and Dan Campbell were at odds, and it led to Lynn getting canned midseason. If the Lions are able to take advantage of attacking soft boxes with runs and stack boxes with downfield passing, I think they have an opportunity to field a fun and dynamic offense. I think Swift has a more realistic shot of finishing as RB1 in 2022, but his floor isn't as safe as that of Najee's. When you're looking for a running back that was in the most similar situation to Jonathan Taylor In the season before his RB1 finish last season, look no further than Javante Williams. In 2021, Javante Williams only handled 50% of the Denver Broncos running back touches. In the one game in which he started and received over 20 touches, he turned that into 178 yards and a touchdown. Williams ranked second in the league in missed tackles forced with 63, behind only Jonathan Taylor, despite having 129 fewer carries. Williams averaged 2.2 yards per carry when contacted in the backfield, the league's sixth highest mark. And positive regression is coming through Williams too, as his 200 touches should have yielded seven touchdowns. It's hard to underestimate how dominant Williams could be if this touch distribution shifted, say, from 50% to 65-70%. I cannot explain to you how bad the Pat Schumer drew Lock combo was in 2021. Drew Lock was one of the worst QBs in football, and Schumer was an absolute donkey. The shift to Russ and Hackett will pay huge dividends to the offense as a whole. No one in 2022 has arrows pointed up as high as Javante Williams possibly could. But that's pretty optimistic. And the bear case against Javante is pretty compelling because even though Javante was elusive and he was creating offense out of nowhere, 28-year-old Melvin Gordon was the more consistent back in 2021. He made the right reads, was excellent in pass pro, and earned his playing time. He was flat out more consistent than Javante. And that was proved by bringing him back this season. Even though if they waited a while in free agency and they only gave him $1 million. Then bringing him back should give us a bit of pause. Reports out of Broncos camp indicate that it could be more of a timeshare than we're willing to accept. You know, some beat writers are saying 60-40. Benjamin Albright, who's pretty tapped in, is saying 50-50. Even coach Nathaniel Hackett came out and said that he wants to give each back a pitch count. So all of that should be giving us a bit of pause. Is it wheels up for Javante? Is this his RB1 season? Or is he in more of a timeshare than we're willing to admit? I personally think the only thing stopping us from a top five Javante Williams season is usage. I think his talent is undeniable. He was one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL as a rookie, and he has the exact profile of a running back who could finish his RB1. Gordon was more consistent and at times better in 2021, but he's being paid backup running back money in 2022 and has even admitted to the coaching staff wants Javante to be the guy. It's really hard to project much out of this offense with a new quarterback and play caller, and that ambiguity is what's keeping Javante's ADP in the late second round. I personally think it's only a matter of time before Javante takes a 60% share of the Broncos' backfield, and I think fantasy managers who are willing to roll the dice and get aggressive taking Williams will be rewarded. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you won't get fooled again. Thank you, President Bush, for such inspiring words. And that quote makes me think about our last, most likely RB1, Saquon Barkley. And when we're building a bull case for Saquon Barkley, it's it's probably the most compelling out of the four. Saquon is 26 years old. He has zero competition for touches. He is on the field for pretty much every single type of play. And he is by far and away the best offensive player for the Giants. I don't even think it's close. Last season, Saquon Barkley started the season slow, coming off his ACL surgery, but was actually starting to gain some steam by week four, posting a 126-2 touchdown stat line before a freak ankle injury. Pretty much torpedoed his season. He would then be sidelined for the following six weeks. And when he returned, he returned a shell of himself in a decrepit Giants offense. Saquon is going from the worst offensive coordinator in football, looking at you, Jason Garrett, and Joe Judge, to one of the league's best in Brian Dable. The Giants have also made substantial upgrades to their offensive line. If Saquon is going to regain his 2018 form, this appears to be his best shot at doing so. Now, when you're looking to build the bear case against Saquon, that one's just as easy to build as the ball. Saquon has missed 18 games the past two seasons and has only gained 950 yards and four touchdowns over that stretch. He has burned fantasy managers for the past two years and he was injured and inconsistent in 2019, You know, even before he tore his ACL and after his RB1 season. The Giants also suck. Daniel Jones is their QB. At best, their wide receiver core is a question mark, and the team has scored the least amount of touchdowns of any team in football the past two seasons. They defied regression. They're so bad, they defied positive regressions and touchdowns last season. This team stinks, and really drafting any key player in the top two rounds on your fantasy team that plays on a bad team is gonna give fantasy managers pause. But out of all four of these running backs, Saquon has the most compelling case to be RB1 in 2022. I think we can throw last year out because of injury, coaching, and it being the first year coming off his ACL injury. The Giants have a successful play caller in place. They've upgraded their offensive line, and now they face the NFL's easiest strength of schedule. Saquon was a fantasy superstar in 2018, and he already has a one RB1 finish on his resume. He's explosive, plays on all three downs, And like I said earlier, by far and away the best giant offensive player. He's playing on his fifth year option, and he's probably pretty motivated to get a multi-year contract next season. He's still only 25 years old and is finally healthy for the first time in two years, and the reports out of training camp have been positive. Saquon is a risky bet with his injury history, but we can't predict injuries. As fantasy managers, we need to weigh risk and reward. And I believe that at ADP, Saquon is an absolute smash. Even in an anemic offense, I believe Saquon has the talent to finish his RB1. And now that wraps up the players that Alex Caruso was targeting as the potential RB1 selection based off the criteria of age, 26 or younger, being drafted in the first round. I have four more guys for you that I think have the potential to finish his RB1, but they're more of a dark horse. They're more of a dart throw. They're either older than 26, not being drafted in the first round. And I think the first place we have to start is Christian McCaffrey. So it's pretty simple. If you take away every single one of CMC's touchdowns from his RB1 season in 2019, he still would have outscored Jonathan Taylor's season last year on a per-game basis. In CMC's last 23 starts... He has finished as a top eight weekly RB 21 times. CMC is the greatest fantasy football player of all time on a per touch basis. That's not hyperbole, it's fact. If you exclude the two games that CMC got hurt in last year, he had a top five finish in seven out of eight healthy games. As fantasy managers, we can't predict injuries, but it does appear that CMC has started to focus on plyometrics and stretching, been doing more Pilates, doing more yoga as opposed to heavy lifting, You know, this was actually advice from Marshall Falk, another member of the 1000-1000 club. The Bear case against CMC is simple. He's only played in 10 games in the past two years and has burned fantasy managers to the ground. These haven't been seizing any injuries where you have clarity and you could drop them and move on. They've been the annoying, will he start or not start injuries that leave fantasy managers in limbo. Fantasy is about having fun, and having CMC on your team the past two seasons has been absolutely miserable. That's pretty much the only case I can think of for CMC. I think best case scenario is they reduce his amount of touches, mix in more running backs, and reduce the amount of hits he takes. Even if you reduce his touches, he still probably finishes at RB1. Even if he plays 13 games, he probably still finishes at RB1. One of my favorite running backs in 2022 is actually a running back who is in a pretty clear 50-50 split timeshare. Fantasy managers are treating him as the 1B, but I think there's a compelling case that he's actually the 1A. And if anything were to happen to his running mate, I think wheels are up and he could easily finish his RB1. Look no further than AJ Dillon. And I think what people need to understand about AJ Dillon is the fact that he's actually a better receiver than people give him credit for. Now I've heard, the, I've heard all the stats, I've heard about how dominant Aaron Jones is in the passing game when Devontae Adams is out with injury. Aaron Jones' stat line is something along of like five receptions for 50 yards. I've seen how many points per game Aaron Jones averages without Devontae Adams. And now Devontae Adams plays for the Raiders. But I think what people are underestimating is the fact that A.J. Dillon can stay on the field for all three downs. Last year as a receiver, he actually had 37 catches for 300 yards and three touchdowns. I think Aaron Jones had like 500, 550... Six touchdowns with more playing time, but it's still something worth considering because he did this on the wrong side of the committee. He was this effective. AJ Dillon finished with more top 10 fantasy weeks than Aaron Jones did in 2021. Dillon finished with the third highest PFF grade of all running backs. I think Dillon might just be flat out better than Jones. And regardless if he's on the wrong side of the committee and I'm wrong, I think that this team is going to stretch the usage of 21 personnel and have both Jones and Dylan on the field as much as possible, considering that they're clearly the two best skilled position players they have in that offense. The bear case for Dylan is pretty simple for him to reach his ceiling. Jones would certainly have to miss time and banking on injuries to players is not a sustainable fantasy football draft strategy. Dylan will be splitting this backfield pretty evenly with Jones and I think both of them are going to be on the field a ton, as I previously mentioned. The last time two running backs in the same backfield made it into the top 10, Kamara and Ingram's legendary season, that was more of an anomaly. And that anomaly is probably the best case scenario for Dylan. Jones caps Dylan's ceiling, but don't sleep on Dylan, Because again, if anything were to happen to Jones, it'd be wheels up. I can't think of a more mysterious running back in 2022 than Jacksonville's Travis Etienne. The bull case for Travis Etienne is almost pure speculation, but it's too sexy to ignore. He projects to have a starter-level workload with James Robinson coming off a December Achilles injury. His new head coach, Doug Peterson, has a long history of bringing the best out of running backs. The shower narrative is in full force with Etienne being college teammates with Trevor Lawrence. And the guy has been compared to Jamal Charles. Jamal fucking Charles. There are real question marks about J-Rob this year, even though he'll be ready to go by week one. There's basically zero history of running backs coming coming back off Achilles injuries and returning to their previous form. Even if J-Rob can ramp back up, it appears that this is ETN's backfield to start the season. And if he proves to be explosive and dynamic as his training camp buzz has been, he might just be the guy. Okay. Okay. Now that projection's over, let's come back to reality. Fantasy managers continue to bet against James Robinson, and time and time again, they continue to lose. ETM himself is coming off a season-ending injury and hasn't even taken a snap in the NFL. Even though every talent evaluator is penciled him as an elite pass catcher, none of the advanced stats point to this guy being on an Alvin Kamara or Austin Eckler-like level of a pass catcher. This is pure projection and is rooted in pure speculation. He is the exact type of role that projects to fantasy stardom, but we just don't know much about this offense and what his role next to Robinson will look like. And you know, I couldn't go a full 20 minutes without talking about my beloved Tony Pollard. I know, I know us Tony P truthers need to look ourselves in the mirror. This is Zeke's backfield, but come on, If you have two functioning eyes, it's pretty clear that Tony P is a more dynamic and explosive player at this point. And he passes more than the eye test. Look at the numbers. When Pollard was on the field, the Cowboys averaged 6.9 yards per play. That would have been the highest in the NFL over the season. And he was targeted 39% of the time when he was lined up out wide, which was by far the most of any running back. In the only game of his career that he started for Zeke, he finished as an RB1 week 11 of 2020. Zeke was putting up excellent numbers before injuring his knee in 2021, but Zeke is on the wrong side of 26, and he isn't the player that he used to be. And with that being said, Jerry Jones has even came out and said, this team goes where Zeke goes. I'm not making it up. This boomer's out of control. This team has Dak Prescott, and he's talking about an aging, overpaid running back, but it is what it is. I mean, with that sentiment, it becomes pretty clear that Tony P has standalone value with his receiving work, but his true ceiling is capped if Zeke is available. There's no way they're going to bench Zeke for Tony Pollard. You couple that with a shaky O'Lion and questions about the Cowboys receivers, this offense doesn't seem as attractive as years past. However, Tony P's receiving chops and big play upside Make him a dark horse running back one candidate if Zeke were to miss time or get benched. And that's a wrap for episode one of the Regression to the Mean podcast. Again, I'm your host, Sean Moran. I hope you had a great time listening in today. I sure had a great time making this content here for you today. Now, again, this is a new project. I'm dipping my toes into podcasting. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And I don't know how this is gonna work. I'm shooting to drop one to two episodes per week. I'm love to cover, you know, excruciating lineup decisions that we're looking to make weekly. Some of the best waiver wire targets, um, some of the biggest wins, some of the biggest performances weekly, maybe even do recaps from Red Zone Sundays. It would even be awesome to have some of the worst beats in some of the fantasy leagues that I'm in and have someone who lost on a missed field goal come on the pod and uh, kind of let their emotions out. Again, I would love to have guests on the podcast. I would love for someone to give me their takes. I'd love for someone to tell me I'm wrong, but uh, until next time, thank you for tuning in.